Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 23. Matthew chapter number 23, we'll read a few verses, and then we'll pray, and then we'll start. Matthew chapter number 23. We'll begin reading in verse number 24. Matthew chapter 23, verse number 24. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to preach. Lord, I do not take it lightly. Thank you for this opportunity to preach. I pray that you'll use me during this time, Lord. I don't want to just fill a time slot, Lord. I want to be used. I pray that you'll use me during this time. I pray that you'll use the song that's about to be sung. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated. When all sorrow has drifted away, I'll be standing at the portals when the gates open wide at the close of life's long dreary day. I'll meet you in the morning. And nobody shall die in that. 
suggested articles on things you might like and all that jazz. Well, I accidentally clicked on one of them, didn't mean to, and uh, I found it fascinating when I actually like looked at it, because I was doing something, I had my two screens in my office, and it was up on this screen, and I looked over, I'm like, what, what? And, and I read the article, it was absolutely fascinating. I'll read it to you. About 1,300 years ago, a scribe in Palestine took a book of the Gospels, inscribed with a Syriac text, and erased it. 
Parchment was scarce in the desert in the Middle Ages, so manuscripts were often erased and reused. It's a common thing. A medievalist from the Austrian Academy of Sciences has now been able, get this, to make legible the lost words on this layered manuscript, a so-called homesite. Fascinating. Gregory Cassell discovered one of the earliest translations of the gospel, made in the 3rd century and copied in the 6th century on individual surviving pages of the manuscript. The findings are published in the journal New Testament Studies, one of the oldest fragments that testifies ancient Syrian version. It's quoted from Gregory Cassell. The tradition of Syriac Christianity knows several translations of the Old and New Testaments. Until recently, only two manuscripts were known to contain the old Syriac translation of the Gospels. While one of these is now kept in the British Library in London, another was discovered as a poem set in St. Catherine's Monastery at Mount Sinai. The fragments from the third manuscript were recently identified in the course of the Sinai Palm Set Project. The small manuscript fragment, which can now be considered as the fourth textual witness, was identified by Gregory Cassell, using ultraviolet photography as the third layer of the text, i.e. a double palm set, in the Vatican Library manuscript. The fragment is so far the only known remnant of the fourth manuscript that assert, sorry, that attests to the old Syriac version and offers a unique gateway to the very early uh, phase in the history of the tra textual transmission of the Gospels. So this is, this is the big thing that he found. For example, while the original Greek of Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, this is just from the article, okay, on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. This is going to blow your mind. The Syriac translation says all that, but then instead it says at the end, adds on to, began to pick the heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat them. That's big league stuff right there. <laughs> Claudia Rapp the director of the Institute for Medieval Research at OEAW, says Gregory Cassell has made a great discovery thanks to his profound knowledge of old Syriac texts and script characteristics. The Syriac translation was written at least a century before the oldest Greek manuscripts that have survived, including the Codex Sinaiticus. The earliest surviving manuscripts with this Syriac, uh, Syriac translation date from the 6th century and are preserved in the erased layered so-called helmsets of newly written parchment leaves. This discovery proves how productive and important the interplay between modern digital technologies and basic research can be when, develop, when dealing with medieval manuscripts, says Claudia Rapp. So the, the, the title of this article is Scientists Discover Hidden Chapters of the Bible. <laughs> that is, that is, that is the, the title to that, to that article. And rub them in their hands is about the, uh, the only difference between the two of them. One says, and pick the heads of grain and eat. And the other one says, began to pick the heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat. We have found the hidden chapter. We have found the keys to the mysteries of the universe. <laughs> rub it in your hands. I'm going to step away from that for a minute. We'll come back someday. 
there, there is on YouTube and other social medias, there are people that like to do quote-unquote challenges and different things. And the real popular one for a while was a thing called like a what's in the box or something like that. And basically the, the concept was the person would wear a blindfold and something would be brought in front of them or they could not look inside of a box. They'd have to just put their hands in and they would feel, feel, feel for something and they would have to guess what that object is without seeing it, just, just with their hands. So they'd either have a blindfold on, be placed in front of them, they had to feel for it and try and find it and guess what it is, or they, you know, put their hands in the box and they couldn't see and all that jazz. And, and that's, that was a big thing for a while, and a lot of people did it. And it's honestly, it's, it's very entertaining to watch because uh, you see them in there and, you know, you know what it is because you can see it right there on the screen, uh, but they obviously have no idea. And they don't even know if it's alive. They don't know, you know, what it is. And... Uh, so it's always interesting to see them when they first touch it, and, you know, they, they freak out and things like that. Sometimes what they would do is they would take a, uh, like a remote control something and they would like move right when they touch it. So they think it's alive. It's, it's pretty funny. But anyway, so they have these blindfolds on and you would see what it is and you see it's a very, you know, a no big deal, like a very obvious thing that you'd use almost every single day. And first off, they're scared to touch. And secondly, when they finally do touch it, it takes them forever if they ever do get it right. And you get some of the weirdest and wackiest conclusions and answers. You know, some of the craziest things off the wall because they just can't see it. They're just trying to use their hands to determine what they are trying to see. But obviously they can't because they have a blindfold on. So they are blinded to what they are trying to see. Now, these are people that have lived their entire lives not being blind, and these are things that they have seen before, they've used. Some of them are regular, everyday household items that they would know in an instant just by looking at it. But when it comes to taking away the sight and all you have is, is what you can feel, it changes everything. It's a different story at that point. But imagine this. Imagine trying to do that game, but having a blindfold on your whole life and never being able to see. See, because we have the benefit of we've seen it before, so we're trying to feel it out in our minds. But if you've always had a blindfold on, then you are nowhere near it. You have no idea. You would have no clue. The guesses you'd be given out wouldn't even be close. They'd be all over the place. They wouldn't make any sense. They'd be over here, over there, up there, all over the place, and they wouldn't make any sense because you've always been blindfolded. You've always had a cover over your eyes so you cannot see. You cannot use your eyes that you have been given. Spiritual application of that. When you are lost... You have a blindfold on. The lost are spiritually dead. They have a blindfold. They are unable to see. They are spiritually blind because their spirit, their soul is going to hell. Their spirit is dead. They have no spiritual vision. That's what they are. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. 
because they can't see. They're blinded. They're blinded because they have no spiritual life. They have no spiritual vision. They are blind. They have a blindfold covering their eyes so they cannot see. They are blinded. Verse number four says, In whom the gods of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. See, the gods of this world, all the pleasures and things of this world are trying to keep you away from the truth. And they're going to try and build up and build on and mound up and pile on the amount of things obscuring your vision so you cannot see what is true. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So that's God's goal. God's goal is that the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ goes and pierces through the darkness, pierces through the blindfolds of the loss of this world, but the world and the devil and the flesh desire to keep that blindfold on tight, not letting any light in so no one can see, so no one can have the ability to get their spiritual sight. See, we are blinded. We have our blindfolds on before we get saved. But when we get saved, what has happened is the good shepherd, our father, has come along and we have asked him to forgive us our sins and to take us to heaven. And he says, because Jesus Christ paid your debt, here, I'll take your blindfold off for you. I'll take your blindfold off so you can now see. You are able to see the Lord unties your blindfold so you are now able to see with your spiritual eyes. You're not able to see what truly is right and what is wrong. Now, once again, the physical. If you wear a blindfold and if you've been wearing it for a while and you take it off, it's going to take a little bit. It's going to take a few moments for your eyes to adjust. They are accompanied to, accustomed to the darkness. And just like everyone is physically different, some people, their eyes would adjust quicker, some their eyes would adjust slower. Same thing in the spiritual realm. There will be those that get saved and it seems like they're just leaps and bounds, getting it going and growing. But then there are those that are slow growers and they're going to take a while. Their eyes are taking longer to adjust to be able to see and discern what is right and what is wrong. Their spiritual eyes are taking longer to be able to adjust to being able to see and to read what is that God has for me to learn. So when you have that blindfold on, just like that game I was talking about, People are searching for truth, but they have a blindfold on. They are searching for what is right, but they are blinded. They have a block to their vision so they cannot see. So they're eternally playing the game of what's in the box. Except what's at stake isn't a prize or pat on the back. It's eternal damnation. That is the crux of their life. They're staggering around in darkness, trying to feel around 
And when they find something, they're trying to determine, what do I have in my hands? And once again, we have the benefit of we've seen before. So when we put our blindfold on, we can recall back to what we've seen before. But if we've always had a blindfold on or we've always been blind, we don't have that ability to look back on. We have nothing to look back on. It's just always been darkness. That's it. That's all our past has been. That's all we have to recall is darkness. So you see here that article proclaiming we have found the hidden chapter of the Bible. All it is is a wacky guess of someone that's been in darkness and still is in darkness. I found it. Could you imagine being so close to the answer? The book of Matthew, you know, the life of Jesus Christ. Being so close to the life giving eternal life. The fountain of eternal life being so close and yet being so far off. You're trying to find the secret hidden portions of the scripture. That if I could take my UV light and I can see in there. It is fascinating, the scientific side of it, but what use is it? It's a bad guess at a game you're doomed to fail. Because if you've never seen it, you're never going to get it right. If you've never seen it with your own eyes, you're not going to get it right. It's not going to happen. So you're playing a game that has eternal consequences that you are doomed to fail. And that's the best they've got. And rub them in their hands. The secret hidden chapter of the Bible. That's what they came to. That was their great and mighty conclusion. That they found a hidden chapter of the Bible. As you can see, it really caught my eye when I read it. I'm like, what in the world? This is recent. This article was in April 12th. This isn't like something that happened a while ago. This is very recent. Within the year, this has happened. That they made this earth-shattering discovery. Found the secrets of the universe. You see, this is what is happening. Could you imagine having the answer? And being so far off. He's he's holding the answer. Now, if my understanding is correct of what actual manuscript he has and he was using, uh, it wasn't actually listed in the article and I couldn't really find for sure, but I'm fairly certain the one he is using is one that's already been deemed to be corrupt not anything that we would use for the King James Bible. In fact, it's very unique that the ones they always use to do their translations for every other version of the Bible, per version of the Bible, besides the King James Bible, is the ones that are corrupted. They never go to the Masoretic text or the Texas Receptus to translate their Bibles. They always go to the ones that have already been deemed corrupted by those that truly know the Bible. So if you heard that and saw, wow, that is awesome. We found a hidden chapter of the Bible. We didn't. There is no hidden chapter of the Bible. If you believe in an all-powerful, almighty, omniscient God, and you think he'd be that careless to say, oh, I forgot about that chapter. Oh, 
know what God you serve, but that's not my God. You see, God promised an unbroken chain that his word would be to all generations. If that is true, that we found a hidden chapter, then that verse is a lie, and there is no hope. Because that's not to all generations. Uh, 1,300 years, that's a few generations. And honestly, let's be real. That, that, that title and that article, at very best, is journal, journal, journalism sensationalism. We found a hidden chapter of the Bible, and they rubbed it in their hands. They're just trying to, once again, make guesses. Or worse yet, taking advice and tips from the devil. Could you imagine, that's your, that's your daily life is working with the manuscripts of the Bible. And could you imagine one day, if you're not saved, you'll be standing at the great white throne of judgment and the books are open and you say, I know that book. I touch that book every day of my life. And God says, I never knew you. I never knew and you touched his words almost every single day of your life. You know, some of these things, especially with the, the history of the Bible, are things you can learn in the Institute. Little tidbit. I would pity to the nth degree a person that went to the Anchor Baptist Church or a church like the Anchor Baptist Church, and all you did was you sit soaked and soured because when you stand before your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, at the judgment seat of Christ, and he looks at you and says, I can't wait to hear what you did. I put you at the Anchor Baptist Church that had so many opportunities of service, that had so many ways for you to grow and to learn. What did you do? Tell me what you do. How much did you do for me? Could you imagine standing before your Lord and Savior where you see his wounds that he bore for you? And he says, all I asked was reasonable. Let's hear reasonable service. Don't think too much of yourself. A worm headed for the pits of hell. Don't think too much of yourself. And Jesus Christ says, what'd you do? Went to church, somewhat faithfully. That's it. Wood, hay, and stubble. You see, because all of your life's work will be brought before you. You'll answer for it, and then the fire will come down, and everything that is eternal will stay. All the wood, hay, and the stubble, burn up. Are you going to have a little gold flake?
So, most of us in here probably were not deceived by hidden gems in the Bible. Most of us in here, if not all of us, have already had our spiritual blindfold removed by the Lord. If you have not, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't play around with eternal life. It's a gamble not worth taking. Could you imagine once again, the Christian saying at the judgment seat of Christ, but could you imagine the lost person who sat in the Anchor Baptist Church and still didn't get to heaven? Because pride, whatever it may be. But I think most of us in here, if not all of us, have had our spiritual blindfold removed. So my question to you, What's the problem? Why are we struggling at the game of what's in the box if our one inhibiting factor has been removed? What is the holdup? What is the problem? This is what makes the game hard. You do understand that. So if this has been removed... Why are you struggling? You have your eyes. So what is deceiving you? What is deceiving us? We've had our blindfolds taken off, but you see what the problem is? Yeah, our blindfolds are off, but we're almost taking our blindfolds and trying to put them back on. We're trying to take our hands and cover our eyes back up. Galatians 5.1 says, as Brother Pledger read this morning, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. This is the yoke of bondage. One of the easiest ways they found to bondage people was take their eyes out, i.e. Samson. Can't do much without your eyes there, buddy. First thing you do when you try, try, to, try, to, try to take someone, you try to put a hood over their eyes so they can't see. Without your eyes, you're pretty helpless. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. See, we've had our blindfold removed. It's off. We went to the Lord. We took it off. And when we go soul winning, all we're doing is we're telling others that still have their blindfold on, hey, I know a guy. I know the Lord, and he can remove that blindfold for you. We can't remove it for him. We can't even remove our own. But God can. And that's all we're doing. We're trying to tell people, hey, God can remove your blindfold. But yet, even though we've had ours removed, it's almost as if we're trying to cover our eyes or put our blindfold back on because we're getting entangled again. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You see, because when you're not actually doing what the Bible says, when you're not actually doing what the word says, you're deceiving yourself and you might as well just put it back on. Because that's all that's happening. You're faking yourself out. You're making yourself believe a lie. When you're deceiving yourself, you're causing the truth to be hid. You're blinding the person from the truth. That's what it means to deceive. You're blinding them from the truth. So if you deceive yourself, that means you're blinding yourself from the truth. 
1 Corinthians 3, 1 says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. You see, that's what it means to be carnal. Someone that is saved, but you're so far gone, it's like you're either a new Christian or you're not even saved at all. It's like you're trying to put your blindfold back on. I'm trying to put my blindfold back on. Romans 8, 7 says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. You see, because if you're carnal, you and God are not getting along. You and God are not in step. Because you can't be in step when you're going against someone. So yes, just as a person that is saved to become carnal, they are shielding their eyes and acting like they are lost once again. Christians, so-called, saved individuals, falling for... shows they're wearing their blindfold. They're wearing their blindfold. They cannot see because they're shielding their eyes and they're deceiving themselves. So my question to you, what is causing you to put your blindfold back on? One of the biggest ways individuals and saved people put their blindfolds back on is because of sin. Sin in your life will always cause a breach between you and your father. God knows you're a sinful creature. God knows they're going to fall. They're going to fail. But when you act like nothing's wrong, you're putting your blindfold back on. Oh, everything's good. Oh, no, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. Nothing's wrong here. You're playing the game of what's in the box, and you have no idea what you're doing. No idea. In this very room, in every church, sin lurks and lives in the church seats. We are sinful beings. Jesus Christ said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He said, those that are, that are healed need no physician. So Jesus Christ knows who he's working with. God knows who he's working with. But do you know who you're working with? He's the one that removed your blindfold and you're snatching it back and trying to snap it back on. blindfold. One of the quickest ways to blindfold yourself and those around you is bitterness. A poison that you drink yourself trying to hurt the other person. And if you keep drinking it, guess what? It begins to overflow. This is the dangerous thing, mom. Because your bitterness does not stay with you. Bitterness.
bitterness is not a, it's only hurting me. No, no, it's a poison that will overflow. And then your children begin to drink. And then all of a sudden, one day, when you finally take your blindfold off, what happened? Why are my kids this way? Well, they've been drinking the poison of bitterness for years. No duh. Is bitterness putting your blindfold back on? Bitterness. It is a bad, gripping sin. Because it hits us so close to home. Right where it hurts. Because they hurt me. But you see, I remember Jesus Christ saying on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As Pastor Bella said, um, you can't really crucify someone on accident. Whoops, hey. Doesn't really work that way. If there's anyone who had a right to be bitter, it'd be God or Jesus Christ. I mean, look at God throughout the Bible with the children of Israel. But time after time after time, just like with us, he extends his hand. I'm waiting. Come back. But we're so high and mighty that we can't even get over a simple slight. It's an infection that if it's not taken care of, it will begin to grow and spread and spread and it will kill you. See, the thing with infection is if you're not careful, you get an infection in your arm, you don't take care of it, you could lose your arm. You may not lose your life, but don't grow back an arm. Bitterness is an infection. If you let it go, it will destroy. Relationships may never be the same. Because you just couldn't get over it. You couldn't say, you know what? It's okay. And this goes into our next one. It goes hand in hand with bitterness. Forgiveness. Oh, we love to hear preaching on forgiveness. But when the altars are open, we're not. No, still empty. But we love to hear sermons on it because it makes us feel all good. But when it comes time to actually make an action and actually, you know, act on it and actually do the action of forgiving, still empty. Forgiveness is what fuels, sorry, unforgiveness is what fuels bitterness. I'm not going to forgive them. I could never forgive them. Well, I'm glad God didn't take that attitude. Mark 11, 25 says, and when you stand, when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any, that your father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. You say, God, please forgive me. But if you haven't forgiven those around you, it's hitting the ceiling and dropping back down. God says, I'm not even hearing it. I'm not even hearing it because you're so wrapped up 
with yourself. You can't even see because you blinded yourself with bitterness and unforgiveness. Because you will not forgive what they have done. And you're blinded. You think you're doing great. You think you're all that. And God says, you put your blindfold back on. You can't even see that your prayers aren't even making it up to me. Because your sin is blocking the door. Your sin has blocked the way. But you're so blinded, you have no idea. You're just making a guess in the dark. What's in the box? Matthew 6, 14 says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Ephesians 4, 32, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You see, we can forgive others because Christ forgave us. Everything we do should have a foundation in the Bible. Everything. We don't forgive because it makes us feel all good and fuzzy. It may do that. We don't forgive because it's the quote-unquote right thing to do. We forgive because we were forgiven. Because God said, because my son chose to lay down his life for you, you forgive like I did. You follow my example. That is why we forgive. It's not about you. And that's so many people's problem. That's why we're so blinded. It's because we're worried about me as opposed to worrying about God. You know, if you're so spiritual, why don't you act like the most spiritual one? You know, we think we're so spiritual, but when it comes time to forgive, Still empty. You see, because forgiveness is one of the most spiritual and one of the most humbling things you can do. Jesus Christ on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Once again, you can't crucify someone on accident. You can't not know what you're doing when you're crucifying someone. They knew what they were doing. And Jesus Christ said, forgive them. For my sake, Father, could you forgive them for me? Could you do it for me? Because I am asking you. And Jesus Christ did that for you and for me. So if you're so spiritual, why don't you be the proactive forgiver? Stop sitting on your haunches waiting for everyone to come to you because you're so high and mighty and I didn't do anything wrong. Who cares? Did Jesus Christ do anything wrong? Uh, Let me check. No. He never did anything wrong. He's incapable of doing wrong. And he still is the one that proffered the forgiveness. He didn't sit back and say, no, 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 you need to come to me first. He didn't look at all those people around there. He didn't look at the guys that just hung him on the cross and say, come here, guys. You have something to say to me, don't you? And he didn't make a big spectacle out of it. He just said, Father private prayer to his father forgive them they don't know what they're doing but oh we we can't lower ourselves to such a low steep as to be a spiritual individual and proffer the forgiveness you are more like your savior when you do that 
a young Christian that doesn't know what they're doing does something they shouldn't do, I'm not going to forgive them. Rottenness. Nobody knows Brat. Doesn't know who I am. Don't you know who Jesus is? Well, maybe that's the problem. You don't. It's one thing that is causing us to put our blindfold back on. It's because we're so stubborn and obstinate. We say, I forgive you. You know, in all facets of forgiveness, asking for forgiveness, receiving forgiveness, giving forgiveness. You know, you go to ask forgiveness from someone, and they're like, what for? Okay. Did you not get the humble part of it? When someone is asking forgiveness, the proper way is not saying, what for? I, I don't remember Jesus Christ doing that. And once again, I believe he's supposed to be our example. You see, Jesus Christ is loving and kind. And he says, good. We don't know how to receive forgiveness. We don't know how to ask forgiveness because we don't really do it. And see, what you do, you get better at. What you put your time into, you get better at. So if you never do something, you're not going to be good at it. So if we're really bad at asking and giving and receiving forgiveness, maybe it's because we're not doing it. One of the last things Jesus Christ did before he died on the cross was offer forgiveness. I think that's pretty important. You know, in a list, the first and the last are generally the two most important things. Whenever you're doing something, the beginning and the end are the most important because that's what people will remember. So when you're making a list, you generally want to put the most important things at the beginning and the end because those are the things that people will mostly remember. So we should really pay attention to important times that are very close to the end. And one of the last things he did before he died on the cross was in his greatest moment of pain and suffering, dying on the cross, bearing the weight of all our sin, having his own father turn his back on him. He said, Father, forgive. can't even forgive the slightest. You're good at what you do. So if we're bad at forgiving by speech, but way of learn how to ask for forgiveness. It's a humbling thing. It's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be, hey, you know, I'm not really my fault, but hey, will you forgive me? You know. Oh yeah. <laughs> I feel the love. No, it's a humbling thing. It should be something where you want to drop your head because you should be embarrassed. You should be humbled by it. And once again, when you're giving forgiveness, it's not, you know, the KJB knocking in the door. What'd you do? You better say it right. No, no, no. 
That's not what God does to you when you come and ask forgiveness from him. He doesn't hold you to the wall and say, you better tell me every little thing, every grimy detail. No, he doesn't do that, does he? But we do it to others. Forgiveness. Bitterness and forgiveness. Putting the blindfold back on. Just putting it back on. Putting it back on because we cannot help ourselves. Because we're so enamored with You see, one of the, if there is one of those verses that answers all life questions, I think one of the closest ones to it would be Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. I mean, if you can really wrap your mind around that and truly apply it to your life, could you imagine how much would just fall into line? Does Dr. Dr. Wendell Evans used to say, make Christ the center of your life and the circumference will take care of itself. You want to have a perfect balanced life? Put Jesus Christ right in the middle and everything else will fall into place. But the thing is, we keep putting them there and then put them away. Put them there and we put them away because we keep on trying to put the blindfold off and then we take it off and put it back on and take it off and put it back on and take it off because we just can't ever let go. Is unforgiveness putting our blindfold back on? What's causing us to put our blindfold back on? Why are we so blinded? Bitterness, unforgiveness, gossip, The Bible doesn't have good things to say about gossip. It's disgusting, reeking filth. Because when you gossip, you're self-righteous and sanctimonious. Because what you're saying is, I would have done a better thing. Could you imagine what this person did? I would never do that. Oh, that sounds like something Jesus would say. That sounds like something he would be glad to hear us say. You see, what the Bible has to say is in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. To edify means to build up, not to tear down. You see, too often we're worried about trying to get ahead by, instead of building others around us, we're trying to get ahead by slashing everyone down. I'll be at the top. I'll be number one. Well, no, I think the Bible teaches the first shall be last. So if that's your major driving force, good for you. Proverbs 16, 28 says, A forward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. You want to know what's ruining some of the best, most amazing, most fruitful relationships? Some of the best ones you could ever have in a lifetime. To have a real, true, honest-to-goodness friend is a rare thing. That is something to seek for. But gossip, rip it to shreds. doesn't matter how close or how tight you were. Gossip will separate. 
Proverbs 26, 20. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, strife ceases. Strife comes from talebearer, gossip. That's what it is. A talebearer is someone that bears tales about others. They're carrying the stories around. Did you hear what I heard? I got the goods on them. save the time and just put the blindfold back on. Just put it all back on. The self-righteous and sanctimonious are the ones that gossip. John 8, 7 says, So when they continued asking him, Jesus Christ, he lifted up his eyes, sorry, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, If you all think you're so good and so great because you found someone that's doing a worse thing than you, tell me which one of you has sinned nothing at all. See, I think that's one of the best verses to quell the gossip. Because once again, gossip is all about, I found something that someone did that I almost didn't. Because I am holy. But Jesus Christ said, if you have no sin, then cast the stones. Basically, he's trying to say, mind your own business. I didn't ask you. Just like a, a teacher or a parent, a parent with a child. You know, I, I, I saw this, I saw this. I don't need your help, okay? I got it. You're trying to do something, trying to correct someone, and then someone says something like, God can take care of himself. Amen. He doesn't need our help. Gossip is dangerous. It'll ruin the most beautiful relationships you've ever imagined. It'll tear them apart and leave them a bloody mess. Because, and we don't even notice it because we put it back on. It's all nice and tight. We can't even see the lights coming around the edge. We got it on so tight. That's dangerous. Proverbs 6, 16 through 18. Uh, just read verse 16 and 19. Uh, These six things that the Lord hate, a seven are an abomination. Once I got it said, first and last in the list are very important. The first thing in the list is a proud look. Six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, first thing. The last thing on the list, he that soweth discord among the brethren. So when you're gossiping and you're sowing discord, because that's what a talebearer is, talebearer is one that takes around stories, they're a gossiper. We already know from another book, verse that that causes strife, because where there is no talebearer, there is no strife. So. If you're gossiping, that means you're causing strife among the brethren, and that means God looks at you and he says, you're an abomination. You make me sick when I see that. 
what an abomination is. An abomination is something so putrid and so disgusting that just the very sight of it, just the very thought of it, makes you want to throw up, makes you want to vomit. And God says, when I see that, remember first and last on the list, very important, a proud look. He that soweth discord among the brethren. God does not take kindly to gossip. Because it will ruin relationships and it will ruin his church. Because it's not our church. It's not my church. This is God's church. That he has given to us to get to know him. Gossip. Where's your blindfold? Is it on? Is gossip putting your blindfold back on? Backbiting? That, that, that's in the list in Romans chapter number one. Of all the things that God says that are no-nos, those that retain, they, they don't even retain God in their knowledge. Backbiters are in that list. Didn't know that, did you? You know, the little sins that we just kind of sweep under the rug, uh, they're not so little to God. You know, it's amazing how the, the big sins that God always hammers down, we always find a way to make them smaller. God makes a mountain, we're trying to make a molehill. To backbite is to censure, to slander, reproach, or speak evil of the absent. What does it mean to backbite? While they're not there, it's very similar to gossiping. It's part of gossiping. If that's what you want, I guess be my guest, but uh, I don't think you're going to like what God has to say. Being unkind in deed and word. Oh, that's childish, being unkind. I don't think that's the way God feels about it. In fact, when Jesus was here and the disciples were trying to shoo away the children, he says, no, 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 suffer them to come unto me. He said, "Don't, don't show them away. I think many two times we get too big in our minds. You see, because the Bible teaches that God wants us to come to him as little children. Little children don't know anything. They need help in every way imaginable. That's what God wants. That's what God desires. But I got it all together. Ephesians 4.32, NBE kind one to another. That's a commandment in the Bible. It's not a suggestion, not a, if you're feeling like it, if you're not having a too bad of a day. No, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted. Tenderhearted means you're not of a hard heart. You are compassionate. Jude talks about, and some having compassion, making a difference. You want to learn how to make a difference? Learn how to have compassion. Learn that you're not number one and everything revolves around you and you are the center of the universe. Because that's the opposite of compassion. Compassion is thinking of others, not thinking of you. Tender-hearted, hey, forgiving, there's that again, one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. 
Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turneth away wrath. Be kind. Someone's angry. The worst thing to do is get angry back. You're not going to say that to me. No, good job. Once again, I'm sure that's what Jesus Christ would do. Yeah, I can see it right now. He's rolling up his sleeves, getting ready to roll. Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. You see, because when you're being unkind in word, the book of Proverbs says, you're wicked. You're wicked. Because that's what the wicked do. The wicked just pour it out. It's just like pouring water out of a pitcher. It's just, you just can't help yourself. I just can't help myself when I say, well, uh, I believe the verse said, the wicked. James 1.19, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Be kind in word and deed. James 3.10, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. If you are just all over the place, I'm over here, I'm over there, I'm saying a good thing, then I'm saying a bad thing, that, that ought not be so. That's what the Bible says. It ought not be so. Because when we are, once again, we're just putting our blindfold back on. We're just putting it back on, blinding ourselves to the truth. It is a sin to be unkind. It is wrong. It is the opposite of what Jesus Christ is. He is the kind one. I mean, you can't get more kind than, you know, eternal forgiveness. That's a, you know, can't get pretty much more kind than that. Being unthoughtful. Because when you're unthoughtful, all your thoughts are on you. Which that is called pride. Which once again, going back to the six things that the Lord does hate, yea, seven are an abomination, a proud look. Just, just the look of pride. God says, just the look of pride. A proud look. Talking about unkindness. In fact, the people that we should get along with the most and the best should be the people in this room. And that's just not me. This is what Jesus Christ had to say about it. John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So the very testimony of the church depends on loving the brethren. I just can't get along with that person. I don't see the caveat. See, I wonder how many of us are blindfolded, not because we're not saved, not because uh, uh, we're out in deep sin, just because we don't love the brethren. We don't love those in the church God has put us in. Once again, we think too much of ourselves. I chose to come to this church. Uh, well, if, you, if you're the Christian you say you are, then God put you in this church. 
Because if you really put yourself in this church, then I don't think you're the Christian you think you are. Because the Bible says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, not himself. 1 John 4.20, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So God says, you can't love the people I put you with. Don't even try coming to prayer to me and saying, God, I love you. Hate him, but I love you. God says, don't even try. You're not fooling me. I know you're lying. Because if you can see them and not love them the way I do, then you don't love me. 1 John 4, 12, no man has seen God at any time. Newsflash, no one's seen God, okay? If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. So if we love one another, then God, as the Bible says, God dwelleth in us. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, but as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Many verses going over and over and over again. Love one another. Love one another. Love the brethren. Luke 6, 32. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have you? For sinners also love those that love them. God did not put a caveat and say, love the brethren as they love you back. No, no, he said, love them, even, especially, if they don't love you. Because once again, how more can we be like Christ by loving those that want nothing to do with us, that despise us, because that's what the world does with Christ. Yet, he still loves them. His hand is still outstretched the one that curses his name and wants nothing to do with him. He said, I'm still waiting for you. If you come, I'll take you. But we, we can't get over the fact that we just don't like the person across the aisle. Something every child must learn, you can only control yourself. So, if I don't love the brethren, that means I'm not controlling myself. Because I can't control what other people do. Loving the unlovable is a sign of a Christian. And everyone has your moments of times where you're unlovable. Don't think too much of yourself, okay? Some, more than others. 1 John 5, 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. You see blindfold keeps going on mainly because of this one thing. We don't love God. Oh, we say it. We give lip service. You see, because God's is plain and simple in many places in the Bible. If you love me, one simple thing. Keep my so if we're in sin and if we're having problems with gossiping and forgiveness and backbiting and, and, and bitterness and we can't love the brethren, 
we keep putting our blindfold on because we don't love God. I don't love God. I say I do. But if your blindfold is on, you don't love God. You do not love God. Because if you're not keeping his commandments, not the ones that you like, not the ones that you identify with, but if you're keeping his commandments, then you love God. So if you're not keeping his commandments, then you do not love God and you are blinding yourself. You keep on putting the blindfold back on. See, one of the dangerous, most dangerous times in a Christian's life is when he can sit in service after service See, as Pastor said this morning, you can override your conscience. You see, because the conscience becomes seared one way or the other. You decide. And so if you've made yourself blind, your conscience has begun to get seared in the things of the flesh in this world. And yeah, no, no duh, you're not going to get moved when the preaching happens because you've blinded yourself to the truth. You've blinded yourself to what you want. And so sometimes you just need to check up from the neck up and realize, you know what? I've made a problem because I've gone down the wrong path and I've blinded myself and it's time to take the blindfold off again because I need to get back with God. I need to get back to where I'm supposed to be because there should be no reason when we have sermon after sermon on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Thursday night, and there's two people that come to the altar. Maybe we forgot to turn it on. The magnets to pull everyone forward. Or maybe you just forgot to take your blindfold off. Because your blindfold is keeping you right there in your seat. Because as long as he doesn't say my name directly from the pulpit, then he must not be talking to me. I mean, let's be real. Do you want your name called from the pulpit? We can start doing that if you want. If that's what you really desire. Too many blindfolds are being put back on. Because we do not love God. First Timothy 4.2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared. Come on, Ivan. We've seared our conscience with our blindfold. We've been saved so long, we think we know it all. But really, we're playing once in the box and we've got our blindfold back on. Hidden chapter of the Bible? Really? Christian? Christian? Someone that emulates the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so much that they've earned the honor. Someone that is like the Christ. As long as you have your blindfold, you'll never emulate a Christian. Because a Christian is someone that has their eyes wide open. They can see what God wants them to see. They can know what God wants them to know. That in all things, he might have the preeminence. See, it's hard to know what he wants if you can't see. I tried to
trying to teach our seniors and juniors this year in school a very simple principle. You're about to step out into the real world, okay? You're no longer going to be under the protection of a Christian school. I try to tell every single one of them, I said, you need to have a meeting with Pastor Bell. Not because he's going to crack out the crystal ball and tell you your future. But if you give him a couple extra bucks, he might. He may not even say very much to you. You may go through your whole spiel, tell everything, and he may say, okay. You see, the reason is not doing it just so you can go sit in Pastor Bell's office. The reason you're doing it is not just so you can listen to what your principal is saying. The reason why you're doing it is found in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. See, what you're doing when you go and have a meeting with Pastor Bell, just to check up with him and say, you know what, I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? You're telling God, I want your way. I'm acknowledging your man, and I'm acknowledging what you want. Oh, but we're, we're big and bad now. Well, I don't need that. We're so out of balance. So out of balance. We, we think we got it all together. When really, we're as blind as a bat. Couldn't even see the hand in front of our face. We're so blinded. See, but if parents, if you aren't willing to do that, then why should they? If you're not willing to take your blindfold off and to humble yourself down and ask for advice from the man of God, then why should they? Why would they? Now, once again, you don't need to go have a meeting with Pastor Bell to ask him, should I have salt or pepper on my eggs? Okay? If you can't figure that one out, I don't know. I just don't know. Because there is still a God in heaven that you can pray to. But life is about balance. Once again, All thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. That's what he's waiting for. He's waiting for you to find out how can I acknowledge God in this way. That, that's pretty much the Old Testament version of Colossians 1.18, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Those verses go hand in hand. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, that in all things he might have the preeminence. But you see, we're too consumed with me and what I want. And what I want to do. There have been too many sermons that the altars have been empty. You know why? We've become blinded again. Our blindfolds are back on and we don't even know it. We're walking around like we're lost again what's in the box and we could have our blindfold off but we decided to put it back on our blindfolds are back on 
Just like a person that is strong and healthy and seemingly everything is fine, only to find out they have cancer eating up the inside of them. At the beginning, we read Matthew 23, where Jesus Christ was talking about the Pharisees, and he said, ye hypocrites. What did he say about them? He said, you whited sepulchers. Oh, you look good on the outside. You look great on the outside. You're all spiffed up. You're ready to go. I'm going to church. But inside, dead men's bones. It's all that's inside of you. You know why? What did he keep on telling them? Ye are blind. You hypocrites, you're blind. You're blind. You can't even see it. You think you look good on the outside, and you may. But the inside, dead men's bones. Oh, your whited sepulcher looks great. It's nice and whitewashed. You made it look all good. But on the inside, filth, disgusting. And why? Because they were blind. They were so consumed with doing what was holy, they couldn't even tell that the Holy One stood in front of them because they were blinded. Could you imagine that? Gregory Cassell, he works with the Bible, the scriptures, the one that found the hidden chapter. And he's still so far off. But could you imagine literally conversing with the Son of God So thickly cloudy, can't even see a thing. Your blindfold is so thick, doesn't matter how bright the light is, it's not even going to bring through a little bit. See, because when you close your eyes and the lights are on, you can tell there's lights on. But the more you put in front of it, the more you put in front of it, the more you add on in front of it trying to blind your eyes, the further the light gets away. And soon you can't even tell. Isaiah 59, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. You can't even see him. Your God, and you can't see him because your iniquities have blinded you. They have separated you from your God. You're just walking along and you have no idea. You have no clue what you're doing, where you're at, where you're going. You're just playing a game. Second Peter 3, 9. Let's go there. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some mountain count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know what God is saying? Saying, yeah, I know you put your blindfold back on. And it hurt me. I took it off for you. I 
and so you can see. But you keep on trying to cover your eyes again. I don't know why, because I gave you such a great gift. I took it off for you so you could live. Could you imagine being blind your whole life and then you can see? What crazy person would cover their eyes again? That's exactly right. A crazy person. Someone that's not in their right mind would do such a thing. But we do it all the time. But you know what God says? Even though it hurts me, even though you shouldn't do it, I'm always ready to help. See, the Bible said in Isaiah 59, God's hand's not short. His ear is not heavy. He says, I'm just waiting for you to realize my iniquities have blinded you. If you read the, the chapter Isaiah 59, it's, it's, it's a good read. It goes on and on about the wickedness and all the problems it causes. But then at the end, As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee and my words which I put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of thy mouth of thy seed's seed, saith the Lord from henceforth and forever. Even after all that, God said, if you're willing to take it off, I'm right here. When you take it off, you'll find my hand is right in front of you. Just waiting for you to grab it. It's not shortened. You think it is because you can't see it because you're blinded. Where is God? These are problems going on. Where is God at? We think his hand is shortened. We think his ear is heavy, but really, we're just wearing a blindfold and we can't see him. He's right in front of our face. He's waiting for us. But we just can't get over him. We're in a battle. Trials and hard times come and go. And trials and hard times are on their way. It gets worse before it gets better. If you try and go into battle with a blindfold on, you won't last very long. You'll get picked off real easy. And that's what the devil wants. He just can't wait for the naive Christian that thinks they're all that in the bag of chips just to walk out in the battlefield Oh, the exterior looks great. Right there, Pharisee, looks good. Whitewashed exterior. Man, you look good on the outside. You go to church. You, you serve in ministries. You teach a Sunday school. You help on the bus route. Man, you are looking good. Pharisees looked real good. Pharisees would put many of us to shame. They were, ooh. I mean, they were good. Religious people. So if the Pharisees were so much better than us, and Jesus Christ had to say about them, you're whitewashed sepulchers, and on the inside, just like a sepulcher has dead men's bones. What would he say about us? Wicked worm that had our blindfold removed by Almighty God, and we can't help but just look out. 
not slack concerning my promises. I made you a promise. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. When you ask forgiveness, I'm right there. When you're willing to say my iniquities are ever before me, God says, I'm right there. Father, thank you for this day.